It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and our passion who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution who would rather die than fall in line to conform who constantly challenge the norm who greet each and every day as if just born i say to you i know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact and in fact i know it best when i say to you i love you
fall victims of oppression for the tyrants fear your might don't cling so hard to your possessions for you have nothing if you have no rights let racist ignorance be
I learned in Korea that I would never again in my life abdicate to somebody else my right and my ability to decide who the enemy is. Oh. I said, oh. I said, oh. I said, oh. 
born a white man in mid-20th century industrial America. You came into the world armed to the teeth with an arsenal of weapons. The weapons of privilege, racial privilege, sexual privilege, economic privilege. You want to be a pacifist, it's not just giving up guns and knives and, and clubs and fists and angry words, but giving up the weapons of privilege and going into the world completely disarmed. Try that. That old man has been gone now 20 years and I'm still at it. But I figure if there's a worthwhile struggle in my own life, that, that's probably the one. Think about it. I'd always wanted to write a song for that old man. He never wanted one about him that way, but something mulched up out of his thought, his anarchist thought. Anarch anarchist in the best sense of the word. Also, many times he stood up in front of federal district judge Ritter, that old fart, and he'd be picked up for picketing illegally, and he never pled innocent or guilty, he pled anarchy. And Ritter would say, what's an anarchist, Hennessy? And Hammond would say, why, an anarchist is anybody who doesn't need a cop to tell him what to do. Kind of a fundamentalist anarchist, huh? And Ritter would say, but Hammond, you broke the law, what about that? And Hammond would say, oh, judge, your damn laws, the good people don't need them, and the bad people don't obey them, so what use are they? weapon of the week. of your father the ink of a scholar is worth a thousand times more than the blood of a martyr terrorist we came through the storm nooses on our necks and a smallpox blanket to keep us warm on the 747 on the pentagon lawn wake up the alarm clock is connected to a bomb anthrax lab on the west virginia farm sure they ain't learned to walk already heavily armed civilians and little children is especially harm camouflage taurus bibles and glorious qurans the books that take you to heaven and let you meet the lord there have become misinterpreted reasons for warfare reread them with blind eyes i guarantee you there's more there rich must be blind cause they ain't see the poor there yeah you need to open up the park just close 10 schools we don't need them can you please call the fire department they down here marching for freedom burn down atps turn their tvs on to teach them and move Medical terrorism. Now 
not a poor Ku Klux man. See that we all brothers knock his things the same because he lack the same color. And that's grain, now that's main. He can't burn his cross because he can't afford the gasoline. Now with a Muslim woman strapped with a bomb on the bus with the seconds running, give you the jitters. Just imagine an American-based Christian organization planning to poison water supplies to bring the second coming quicker. Nigga, if they ain't living properly, break them off with a little democracy and turn their whole culture to a mockery and give them Coca-Cola for their property. Give them gum, give them guns, get them young, give them fun. If they ain't giving it up, then they ain't getting none. And don't give them all, no, man, just give them some. It's the paper, some of these cops must be Al-Qaeda, nigga, on. Hello, hello. This is the B, returning to labor and love after a two-week hiatus. Hope you all had a happy Christmas, and we're all going to have a great new year, right? This is the B, and you're listening to Labor and Love Radio, a show where we tell you how it is. One person got a dollar they didn't work for, Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, a negotiating table there that is, where you work, you're on the menu. 
and never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Labor and Love Radio. You're listening to Mutiny, the Mutiny, 2781 21st Street is our physical presence. The airwaves are our more ethereal ones. Welcome. Come on down to Mutiny and find your voice. Actually, we should say, come on down to Mutiny and create your voice. This is our first week of the year. And uh, and we want to, uh, I'm going to read over some of our credos. Okay, on this show we have credos, we have things we believe in. We invite you to listen and see if you believe in them too. And if you don't, okay, think about it. Okay. First is Kenneth Rexroth. Actually, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silenced, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero, and aims to rule the world by force and by torture. Pity the nation that knows no other language but its own, and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money, and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed. Pity the nation, oh pity the people, who allow their rights to erode, and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, Tears of the sweet lack of liberty. Robert Reich tells us your reminder that the richest 1%, that's 1% of the people own half the stock market. And the richest 10% own almost all of it. They own 92% of it. So when people talk about the stock market, they're not talking about the economy that 90% of Americans inhabit. It's like the rest of us are all on the sidelines and important parts of our lives are being governed by what happened to the stock market. But we're all just watching, right? We're all just watching. Rooting for people, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird thing. Why... Why is it important to me what the stock market's doing? That's a great question. That might be a question we could we could run down. Kids don't have a little little brother, Utah Phillips writes, working in the coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns of the Northeast. Why? 
because we organize, we broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. These are not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for. They were bled for. They were died for by working people, by people like us. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I tell these stories. Damn it, no root, no fruit. One of the best, one of the very best arguments for labor education in the schools. Facebook.com Okay. Let's see what else we got here. This is our, these are our credos, things we follow on this show that we take as given. When the penalty for aborting after rape is more severe than the penalty for rape, that's when you know it's a war on women. So the law drags its feet where rape is concerned. But punishing people who get abortions because they don't want to be forced to be mothers? Come on. A penalty for rape is greater than a penalty for abortion is greater than the penalty for rape. Um, Labor and Love Radio has been on the air now. Here's one that we've read almost every year, every month. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this community. Without Social Security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall deport the illegals bullshit is just the 1% convincing the working class to blame another part of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor instead of realizing they're poor is due to vast income inequality and resource pricing for inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Please use your brains for heaven's sake. Existence of another poor person is not the reason you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. Hello? You're poor because you're not getting paid enough. Is that a hard one to figure? Really? Uh, Okay. So Labor and Love Radio, we've got sort of a hodgepodge of 
of uh, features this week. We're going to talk about the first strike ever. First strike ever. <laughs> the first strike in California. We're going to be start listening to Red Glass's monumental history of the labor movement in California. Monumental because it's the only comprehensive one that I've ever seen uh, on video. Um, so let's listen to Radio Labor. Radio Labor is our week, is our... Radio Labour is, um, I think it's an, a British-based group that uh, represents uh, labor unions from all around the world, um, including the FLCIO and other uh, American unions. Well, not happening. Radio Labour. And while it's getting ready, let's uh, put on something. Looks like Radio Labor's not coming up. So we'll have to see what's going on with that later on. Um, maybe they're on a rest. Um, labor unions are tackling Amazon all around the world. Sounds interesting.
as a little Miles Davis there. I want to start today by talking about the first, very first strike in his in recorded history. Okay, of course it wasn't. It wasn't the the first strike. The first strike started when the first employer hired the first worker. First strike was sometime after that area, that time. Okay, well, looks like our technology has deserted us here. We tried to put on uh, radio labor. That didn't work. Tried to load about Luisa Moreno. That didn't work. Um, Something that happened to me this year was that Lost my brother Charlie, and we'll play some of Charlie's music in a little while too. Um, okay, Egyptian laborers strike for pay. 1170 BCE. And uh, if you don't mind, I'll read it. First labor strike in recorded history took place in the 12th century BCE in Egypt. A strike was recorded on papyrus, discovered in Egypt, and though it is damaged and incomplete, it is the only record of the strike in existence. All records of this strike refer to dates with reference to the then current pharaoh Ramses III. During the 29th year of his reign, around 1170 BCE, before the Christian era, artisans tacked with building the necropolis, the burial chambers of King Ramses III, repeatedly struck, apparently complaining of insufficient rations. It is unclear exactly why the artisans were not receiving their normal rations. There is evidence that the shortage of food was largely the result of corruption in the ruling class. Boy, where have we heard that before? Think of the wealth, the wealth in this country, the wealth in the United States, and where it goes. Who's enjoying it, anyway? I have a uh, 
It is unclear exactly why the artisans were not receiving their normal rations, though there is evidence that the shortage of food was the result of corruption in the ruling classes. The custom was a monthly ration of grain, but implicit in the document is the sense that the ration had frequently been delayed during Ramses III's reign. In the 29th year, the grain did not arrive until the 23rd day of the month. An Amenacht, an artisan, probably the scribe that recorded the strike, complained to the local government authorities. The rations during the fifth month were more than four weeks late, and the sixth month's rations were delivered two weeks into the month. Workers had had enough. All the workers simply laid down their tools and marched out of the necropolis they were building. Supervisors had no idea where they had gone. They had never seen anything like this before. They marched to the local government officials and demanded that they be paid their food rations. Though the local elders agreed that they should be paid, they were unable to provide the rations. The next day, the workers marched toward the temple of Ramses II and were able to speak with the vizier, the mayor, who was finally able to secure a ration payment for the workers, though it was not the full payment. Satisfied, the workers returned to their labor. There is evidence that the success of this strike compelled workers to continue the use of the the tactic effectively throughout the reign of Ramses III. As the strikes continued regularly, local government officials began to increase the number of workers they hired to deliver food and supplies to workers. So it was obvious to the workers that they were being heard. It is clear that the tactic was so new to all the authority figures in ancient Egypt, they were completely unprepared to deal with it in any way other than to simply attempt to appease the workers. They were very successful in their campaign. Okay, this is from a website called Global Nonviolent Action Database. Swarthmore. Okay, let's see. Um, Let's talk about a couple of labor leaders. And um, two Latinas who fought for workers' rights, pioneers for the rights in the U.S. Hear about are two that you should have learned about in school. And um, these two were instrumental in as precursors to what's called the uh, Chicano Civil Rights Movement. See if we can get them on. And we're not getting any sound. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our day. 
Nothing's coming through. And it looks like we're not getting anything from. I wanted to talk about a woman named Luisa Moreno and also about a woman named Emma Tenayuka. We're not getting any sound, so. Okay. I have a section here about Dolores Huerta and about Helen Chavez, the, the wife of Cesar Chavez. Let's put on some music. Are you Karen Silkwood? Are you Karen Silkwood? The news is bad. Your body is on fire. The worst that we've had might have been the canister, probably the gloves. Better not get too near to the one that you love Are you Karen Silkwood? We've heard about you Talking to the outside Dumb thing to do People lose confidence We might close down Little girl, the stakes are high We don't fool around Karen Silkwood Come on back to bed This thing's too big for us It's gone to your head You've got your mission I got my doubts I never asked for this Babe, I think I want out You Karen Silkwood, I'll be on the next flight. I think we've got them nailed this time. Are you sure you're all right? The union's behind you, right down the line. I'll be there at the restaurant with the man from the Times.
Karen Silkwood Cries there's nothing but blood Better get the ambulance But it won't do no good They're saying she had some notes in the car But they're nowhere around Geez, the place is crawling with press But she don't make a sound a time before liberation when all the witches were mad and moonstruck when the shrinking and the shocking and the mocking were rife we still found each other 
You got a light, dear? Change for a dime? Do you come here often? I see what you mean. I know a tavern where we won't be seen. There was a time before celebration when all my sisters were ghosts and shadows. Every femme had a butch, every husband a wife, and we still found each other, the ones in the life. Do you know, Dorothy? Do you have the time? You got a light, dear, change for a dime. Do you come here often? I see what you mean. I know a tavern where we won't be seen. There was a time back. Before Stonewall, we heard the jokes and we joined the laughter. We lied and we passed and avoided the strife. But we still found each other, the ones in the life. We still found each other. Where have you been today, truck driver man? Where have you traveled across the wide land? I've been to the east been to the west, the north and the south, and the roadsides to rest. I've been to the centers of commerce and trade, and every big city that industry made. I've been rolling so long, but I'm still in the hole. The fever is gone, and the coffee is cold. But each mile of highway has calloused my soul. Rolling it all home to you What did you haul today, truck driver man? What did you carry across the wide land? Peanuts and lumber, 
parts for machines, castings and cookies, and rose-colored dreams. There was boxes and bags, and barrels of oil, cement by the yard, steel by the coil. I've been rolling so long, but I'm still in the hole. The fever is gone, and the coffee is cold. But each mile of highway has calloused my soul. Rolling it all home to you What took you so long today, truck driver man? What was the delay as you traveled the land? It rained in the morning, it snowed in the night I made a left turn, I should have gone right watched for the crazies, I watched for the bears, I waited for scales, I was down for repairs, I've been rolling so long, but I'm still in the hole, the fever is gone, and the coffee is cold, but each mile of highway has calloused my soul, rolling it all home to you. What do you think about truck driver man what are your dreams as you travel the land I dream about playing all day in the sun while somebody younger is making the run I dream about finding two perfect fried eggs arresting my eyes and the waitress's legs never no more Nights all alone, not being more than an hour from home. I've been rolling so long, but I'm still in the hole. The fever is gone, and the coffee is cold. But each mile of highway has calloused my soul, rolling it all home to you. Where have you been today, truck driver man? Where have you traveled across the wide land? I've been to the east, been to the west, the north and the south, and the roadsides to rest. That was Larry Penn singing the... Uh... It's like the truck driver's holiday, huh? Truck driver's lullaby. <clears throat> Keep on trucking. Been rolling so long, rolling it all home to you. And then we had before Stonewall. Sung about living gay in the U.S. before Stonewall, before the revolt started are they going to make us outlaws again that's hazel dickens from west virginia joe manchin's state huh come on joe working people are out there joe up against it lupe fiasco before that um rapper from chicago the War Prayer we're going to play in a minute. 
Mark Twain's War Prayer. Utah Phillips, talking about anarchy. Person who doesn't need a cop to tell him what to do. And Billy Bragg started the whole show off with the Internacional. Right now we're going to take a little break. Come back in a couple minutes. It's labor and love. Thank you. 
Little Miles Davis there from the album Evil. Doesn't sound so evil, huh? (laughs) Okay. We dance into the new year with our hammers and sickles. Banging our hammers and swinging our sickles. There's an article from Popular Resistance, so we'll read a little bit of it. Bittersweet is the passage of this year. There have been some immense victories and some catastrophic defeats. The most terrible being the failure of the global North countries to adopt a democratic attitude towards confronting the COVID-19 pandemic and creating equitable access to key resources. From, fine sa- from life-saving medical equipment to vaccines. Tragically, by the end of this pandemic, we will have learned the Greek alphabet from the variants named after its letters, Delta, Omicron, which continues to emerge. Cuba leads the world with the highest vaccination rates, using its indigenous vaccines to protect its position as well as those of countries from Venezuela to Vietnam, following a long history of medical solidarity. Countries with the lowest vaccination rates, currently Burundi, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Haiti, South Sudan, Chad, and Yemen, in other words, African-American black people, Dark people, Arab people, African people. (sighs) Are amongst the poorest in the world, relying on foreign aid since their resources are essentially stolen, such as by being acquired at outrageously low prices by multinational companies. 0.4% of Burundi's 12 million people were vaccinated as of December 15th. It would reach coverage, 70% coverage by January 2111. Vaccine apartheid is part of a broader problem of medical apartheid. One of the four apartheids of our time, the other being food, money, and education. A new report in the U.S. Food and Agricultural Organization says that the population of undernourished people in Africa has increased by 89.1 million. Chinese people eradicated extreme poverty. Nearly 100 million people lifting themselves out of absolute misery over the past eight years. The article goes on. It has stuff about the global south, 
Um, how apartheid, medical apartheid, of course, you're not going to get your shot if you're not, if you don't have a stake in the world health system or the health system where you are. You're just out there, just one of the victims. In 1959, the Iranian communist poet Siavesh Kastras wrote one of his elegies, Arash the Archer, using the popular mythology of the ancient battle fought by the heroic archer Arash to liberate his country. Kasral depicts the anti-imperialist struggles of his time. But the poem is not only about struggles, but also for we also wonder about possibilities. I told you life is beautiful, told and untold. There's a lot here. Clear sky, the golden sun, flower gardens, boundless plains, flowers peeping up through the snow. A tender swing of fish dancing in crystal of water. The scent of rain-swept dust on the mountainside. The sleep of wheat fields in the spring of moonlight. To come, to go, to run, to love, to lament for mankind, and to revel arm in arm with the crowd's joys. Revolutionary 2022. Best wishes. Early today, I want to write about uh, capping off a year in labor action at an Amazon. Warehouse workers walk off the job in Illinois. For the first time, Amazon is experiencing a multi-site U.S. work stoppage. Comes at the end of a year marked by union organizing and labor militancy at the retail giant. This is by uh, Jeff Jurka. I hope I said it correctly. On uh, in these times, several dozen Amazon workers on Wednesday morning at two separate Chicago area delivery stations staged a walkout to demand raises and safer working conditions, making it the first time the tech giant has seen a multi site work stoppage in the United States. Coming just three days before Christmas to ensure maximum impact, the action caps a year of intense organizing and protest by Amazon warehouse workers who have been on the front lines of both COVID-19 pandemic and extreme weather events. Amazonians United, the walkouts occurred during the morning shift in two Chicago Park neighborhoods. 
heart can be won, can be won. Many stones to form an arch, singly none, singly none. And by union what we will can be accomplished still. Drops of water turn a mill, singly none, singly none. These are union members in 1949 going to a meeting. They will vote to end a strike and accept an offer from employers making them the highest paid warehouse workers in the country. They have a right to hold this meeting. They have a right to have been on strike. But workers had to fight to get those rights. And they had to fight to keep them. Working people are often proud of the work they do. They should be. They built this state and this country with their hands and sweat. And occasionally with their blood. Steel workers and their families near Chicago, Memorial Day, 1937, wanted a union. Ten families were given a new reason to remember Memorial Day. This was not an unusual occurrence in the 1930s. In California, for instance, longshoremen Howard Sperry and Nick Bordeaux, a cook, lost their lives to bullets in the back, sparking the 1934 San Francisco general strike. Of course, that was a long time ago. No employer today abuses workers the way they used to be treated. Near Los Angeles, a raid has freed garment workers so desperate, so trapped, that perhaps only one word describes what they endured, slavery. With sewing machines in the garage, the living room, and the dining room, the undocumented workers said they were forced to work 120 hours a week for less than $2 an hour. The Immigration and Naturalization Service knew about the alleged operation more than three years ago, but took no enforcement action. And when workers today exercise their legal right to protest, we would imagine they are treated with proper respect. Who are these people? And what motivated them to choose to stand up time and again for their rights? Some have been famous. But for most, we have no statues, no official memory, perhaps a glimpse of blurry faces without names. These are the ones we speak of when we say, they sacrificed and sometimes gave their lives back in the day so that we might have rights in our workplaces and communities. If we are interested in protecting the inheritance they left us, it would help to know who they were. To look at California history from the perspective of its working people and their labor movement from then to now. of our nation.
rush wise to shore millions of dreams and schemes. Cockroaches bought and sold the gold that just rolled from streams. But was it all white people like they always say? Or was it people of color working back in the day? They were cooking and washing and building and being guys and making clothing and planting and hunting and tanning hides. A few got over, got lucky and got paid. The rest worked themselves to death. Back then there was no minimum wage. Here's part two. In the working out of a great national program that seeks the primary good of the greater number, it is true that the toes of some people are being stepped on and are going to be stepped on. But these toes belong to the comparative few who seek to retain or to gain position or riches or both by some shortcut that is harmful to the greater good. When President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signs several important pieces of legislation in the 1930s, he creates the laws he calls the New Deal, the National Recovery Act, National Labor Relations Act, the Social Security Act, and the Fair Labor Standards Act. The New Deal is a response to the severe conditions of the Great Depression, when more than 25% of the workforce is unemployed, and it seems to many as if capitalism is collapsing. Once I built a railroad, made it run, made it race against time. Once I built a railroad, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? Once I built a tower to the sun, brick and rivet and lime. Once I built a tower, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? These laws established for the first time the legitimacy of unions and workers' rights nationally and create minimum standards for employment such as the 40-hour week and restrictions on child labor. This is what today we call the social safety net. Steve's unemployment check is not as big as the wage he used to get, 
but it goes a long way toward buying groceries and paying rent. It helps keep his family going, while the employment office helps Steve find a job. Other New Deal programs put people to work building roads, parks, national forests, government buildings, and even making art in public spaces. Socialists and communists had said for years that the country needed laws and programs like these, but until the Depression, such ideas were considered too radical. Now, novelist Upton Sinclair sees an opportunity to bring these notions into the mainstream. He drops his longtime Socialist Party affiliation. The California Democratic Party nominates him its candidate for governor. His 1934 campaign calls for production for use and turning over idle factories and land to working people. And they will be able to produce great quantities of wealth and to make comfort and plenty for themselves. We think that this is the true American plan. We say that it represents California's share of the New Deal. Sinclair wins widespread labor support, but loses the election when Hollywood movie studios force all the theaters in California to show fake newsreels supposedly showing tramps flocking into the state in expectation of a Sinclair victory. Presented as documentary films, these are actually entirely scripted and acted, including this interview. I'm going to vote for Upton St. Clair. Will you tell us why? Upton St. Clair is the author of the Russian government, and it's worked out very well there, and I think it should do here. The New Deal is also responding to the growing number of demonstrations and strikes by working people often organized by left-wing groups. Some of these events, by their size and militancy, seem to verge on revolution. After 15 years of the open shop on the San Francisco waterfront, dock workers are sick of shape-ups of bribing bosses to get work and of making 75 cents an hour. When a group of rank-and-file longshoremen radical activists start up a newsletter agitating for change, they find a receptive audience. Section 7A of the National Recovery Act allows workers to join unions. Thousands of West Coast longshoremen stream into the International Longshoremen's Association, or ILA. They demand a union-run hiring hall, a 25-cent-per-hour raise, and a 30-hour week so that work could be shared equally. When the employers reject these ideas, 12,000 longshoremen strike the West Coast on May 9, 1934. The public is generally sympathetic. Many students come out to demonstrate their support. Sailors and other maritime workers join the strike. They want their own changes to deal with working 14 to 16 hour days, rotten food, and living quarters on ships and inferior Seth describes as bigger than a coffin, but smaller than a grave. They also want an end to hiring through employer-run think halls. All the unions agree no one returns to work until everyone gets what they need. With 40,000 on strike, this is the largest maritime job action in U.S. history. An immigrant Australian longshoreman named Harry Bridges emerges from the ranks as head of the strike committee. Articulate, a brilliant strategist, Harry insists any settlement must be voted on by all members of the union. National ILA President Joe Ryan flies out from the east. Conservative and corrupt, Ryan feels more comfortable with the bosses than with these new militant West Coast unionists. He signs two agreements with employers. Neither contains any of the strikers' demands. Ryan attempts to explain at a meeting of thousands of San Francisco longshoremen. Unaccustomed to democratic unionism, he is startled when they overwhelmingly reject his settlements. 
rank-and-file longshoreman Pirate Larson leaps on stage. This guy's a fink, and he's trying to make finks out of us. Let's throw him out. As he leaves, Ryan warns. Bridges does not want this strike settled. My firm belief is that he is acting for the communists. The employers open the ports with a massive show of force. They are determined to crush the maritime workers' strike. The bosses hire a thousand strikebreakers in San Francisco alone, including hundreds of black workers who are barred from the union. This tactic is neutralized when the union, breaking with its racist past, approaches African-American longshoremen and asks them to join the union and the strike. Many do. But on July 5th, other weapons are turned on the strikers. One witness reports, Struggling knots of longshoremen, closely pressed by officers mounted and on foot, swarmed everywhere. The air was filled with blinding gas, the howl of the sirens, the low boom of the gas guns, the crack of pistol fire, the whine of the bullets, the shouts and curses of sweating men. Everywhere was a rhythmical waving of arms, like trees in the wind, swinging clubs, swinging fists, hurling rocks, hurling bombs. As the police moved from one group to the next, men lay bloody, unconscious, or in convulsions, in the gutters, on the sidewalks, in the streets. Around on Madison Street, a plainclothes man dismounted from a radio car, waved his shotgun nervously at the shouting pickets who scattered. I saw nothing thrown at him. Suddenly, he fired up and down the street, and two men fell in a pool of gore one evidently dead, the other half attempting to rise, but weakening fast. Longshoreman Howard Sperry is dead. A block away, so is cook Nick Fordois, who is volunteering in the strike kitchen. Not one smile in the endless blocks of marching men. Crowds on the sidewalk, for the most part, stood with heads erect and hats removed. Others watched the procession with fear and alarm. Here and there, well-dressed businessmen from Montgomery Street stood amazed and impressed, but with their hats still on their heads. Sharp voices shut out of the line of march. Take off your hat. The tone of voice was extraordinary. The reaction was immediate. With quick, nervous gestures, the businessmen obeyed. As the last marcher broke ranks, the certainty of a general strike, which up to this time had appeared to many to be a visionary dream of a small group of the most radical workers, became for the first time a practical and realizable objective. Against the advice of San Francisco Labor Council officers Edward Vandeleur and Mike Casey, 64 unions vote to strike. Seeing the writing on the wall, even the conservative council officers vote for a general strike. And then, strikers run the city. Workplaces are shut tight. With the exception of emergency deliveries allowed by the general strike leadership, virtually no work takes place. 
Laboring men appeared on the streets in their Sunday clothes, shiny celluloid union buttons glistening on every lapel. Common social barriers were swept away in the spirit of the occasion. Strangers addressed each other warmly as friends. Then it was the employer's turn to counterattack. City government and the media whip up public hysteria. An army of communists is marching on San Francisco. The strikers are going to starve the city into submission. In this atmosphere, hundreds are arrested. And so-called radical hangouts are wrecked in a massive effort to eliminate the imaginary alien red menace. After four days, Labor Council conservatives, over the angry objections of the maritime unions, call off the general strike. To you, Mr. Vandalore, as president of the San Francisco Labor Council and chairman of the General Strike Committee, and to your associates, I offer my congratulations upon your decision and the part it has played in bringing to an end the general strike in San Francisco. The inconclusive use of their biggest weapon convinces most longshoremen and many seamen the time has come to compromise. Longshoremen vote to submit all issues to federal arbitration and to end the strike. The sailors are unhappy, but know they now have no choice but to wait for arbitration too. But before going back, old Andrew Furyuseth has the last word. He has his members build a bonfire to burn their think books. At work, the bosses awaken to a different world. Workers refuse to labor alongside strike breakers. Unsafe working conditions and speed up are rejected. The workers enforce their own new rules with direct action. When problems arise, they vote and strike quickly on dock after dock and ship after ship. Shape up and fin call are gone, replaced by union-run hiring halls. Workers govern their organization through rank-and-file union democracy. Sailors union leader Harry Lundeberg and longshoreman Harry Bridges bring together a powerful federation of maritime unions. The owners are furious. But maritime workers have learned how to take care of themselves. The fear is gone. Industrial unionism is established on the West Coast, and it's radical. Okay, that was part two of Fred Glass's uh, History of California Labor. There is a segment about, uh, for example, the missions and um, early union activity in San Francisco, including Dennis Kearney. Uh, we'll play that for you next week, maybe, or sometime. We're going to listen to the whole 10-part series, chapter by chapter here on Labor and Love Radio. Right now I want to play some work by a poet, a man named Kenneth Patchen. Patchen was a poet who uh, associated, li lived in California, lived in Oregon, the West Coast. Um, 
and um, had a severe problem with his back, injured his back when he was uh, a younger man and was in pain and mostly in bed the rest of the time. But he had a unique kind of uh, a graphic style of writing poems. Everyone is probably most uh, aware of one that goes, war is not good for your children and other living things. Uh, kind of an iconic uh, marker of the anti-war movement. Um, I've seen it in a million homes. Anyway, Patchen is reading here with a group called the Alan Neal Quartet. And we're going to listen to some of Kenneth Patchen's work. Got about, uh, what, 20 minutes left? So let's listen to Kenneth Patchen. The murder of two men by a young kid wearing lemon-colored gloves. Wait. 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 Wait, wait. 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 State of the nation. Understand they were sitting just inside the door at a little table with two full beers and two empty. A few dozen people moving around, killing time and getting tight because nothing meant anything anymore. Somebody looked at a girl and somebody said, great things doing in Spain.
just why it happened, whether it ever happened again on this fretful Jack picked up his beer again and Nellie her beer again and as, as though it signaled Do the dead know what time it is? down his beer. Son, he said,
and with the sorrows of this joyousness. Hey, that was Kenneth Patchen reading some of his poems. Um, I guess I would criticize the mix there. It was a little too loud. Um, <clears throat> the music was dominating the words, which probably, probably was not what uh, they wanted to happen. Um, there's another, another one we'll play one of you know one of the incoming upcoming weeks where he plays with uh, a jazz quartet Alan Neal I think the guy's name is so we'll see if they uh, got that one better this is the B and you're listening to Labor and Love Radio hope you're having a happy new year so far I hope it continues on to the end until next year. Let's listen now to uh, Brother Charlie Morgan. I had the misfortune to lose two of my very best friends in the world. Brother Charlie and my good friend Earl J. Coleman. Uh, within you know a month or two of one another. So you know, depression sets in. You're, you're not ready for this. no way to get ready except by listening maybe to some of Charlie's music. Here we go. California Drought Song. 
In New Zealand I read a magazine, something nasty crossed my eye. The earth that fed me in California was turning cracked and dry. New Zealand ferns are always green, it rains more there than it should. I looked to the cloud that was raining on me and said, go where you can do some good. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. Met a guy from San Francisco in a railway ticket line. He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well, but the weather wasn't so fine. Nobody had a garden, nothing lived but weeds. The earth looked like some kind of feverish person who'd caught a strange disease. He said the reservoirs are empty, cattle dying too. Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew. And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown. That the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm in town. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. I stared up to the diamond stars one cashmere night. Black velvet sky and a raging river was no other sound or sight. The Big Dipper hung up above the river and I felt that it was a shame. All this water here in California dry, I said to the Dipper by name. Reach down and kiss that raging river and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. People and the animals like to gather where water flows. A beer, some tea, or a water hole, it's there where something grows. And remember the music water makes, the rainy pool and the circle dance. The thunder of the ocean and the waterfall, the laughing creek that feeds the plants. Now the fields are green again, beauty has returned. Tragedies continue to show what we still got to learn. Can't waste away the ocean, water, air, or land. If we upset this sacred ground, we won't have any place to stand. So reach down and kiss the raging river and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die.
mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Let's watch I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Let's Spiegelman. We're hosts of... <laughs> you two uh, with Michael Spiegelman. Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. We watch a full-length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and yeah. watch the movie at the same right. time. Yeah. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That's every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, 5%. 5% yeah, right. I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show, 5 p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh. Let's watch full-length movies. Let's do a full-minute promo. Oh, never mind. See you next are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey, Mutineer Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Since 1971, the San Francisco Tenants Union has been fighting for the rights of tenants and for the preservation of affordable housing in San Francisco. Starting from the struggle for rent control in the 1970s, the Tenants Union has been the city's leading advocate for tenants. The Tenants Union is supported by membership and counseling donations, and this enables advocacy to be uncompromising and not influenced by pressures from government or other funders. It is a 501c4 since it campaigns for political candidates, so generally donations are not tax deductible, although large donations may qualify. Please visit WFTU.org for more information. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Flat black plastic. Mutiny Radio. FM. Saturday. Noon to two. Every Saturday. All music. All night. The 
ACLU of California reminds us that we have the right to speak out. Both the California Constitution and the First Amendment to the United States Constitution protect our rights to free expression. There are many questions we face when we decide to organize and speak out. Do we need a permit? Are there limitations? Or when or when can we not demonstrate? What about civil disobedience? For all of this information, please check out aclunc.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Alex! Can you tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternatives. To smoke it. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby! Good! Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again! And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be... Like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way! What is this dang dabbing thing called? It's Joke Workshop! Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I can tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast And you can listen on the go Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. MutinyRadio.fm Why not make a donation? MutinyRadio.fm 
Streaming live the station. MutinyRadio.fm. District of the Mission. MutinyRadio.fm. MutinyRadio.fm. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylist jackets. It's time to work together. 